1: Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of the Oxygen Starved Podcast. Your ABC is from 11,000 feet and you probably recognize my voice. I'm Christopher, one of the co-hosts, and chuckling alongside me virtually <laughs> is my other cohort in crime.
2: I'm Stacy, and with us as always is our producer Doug. Hey Doug. Hi Doug. Am
1: I? am I involved in crime? Am I implicated here?
2: Yes.
0: Oh, I guess
2: you're the mastermind. A, what are you talking about? A, a betting, <laughs>
1: aiding and abetting two felons or something. <laughs> I, I think Stacy's right. I think you're the mastermind and we're the fall guys. So I
0: think, I think your guys, uh, the degree to which you have fun on these podcasts is criminal. So I think that's, that's where we are. And I'll, I'll let you
1: take it from there.
0: Thanks, you guys. Oh.
1: <laughs> well, you know, uh, it's mid-March and uh, we're a little punchy again. <laughs> this is what we yes. get for recording these things on Friday afternoons.
2: I, I know. <laughs> yeah, I we the the degree of punchiness since we moved the recording to Friday afternoons has has increased. <laughs> but, you <know. laughs>
1: but, you know, before we launch into the books, you know, the last episode we were chatting about uh, green beer and shamrock shakes and all that yep. stuff that's probably beginning to circle around the shelves right about now as the, as the episode mm-hmm. comes out. I was also reminded, you know, at this time of year, at least back in New York City, not so much out here, was uh, when the hamantaschen cookies would appear on shelves or you would go to the delis to get hamantaschen cookies because it's almost Purim, Right which is a Jewish holiday. I'm not I'm not Jewish, so I'm not going to pretend I know a whole lot about it other than these really wonderful kind of like fruit-filled cookies come out in the in the Jewish delis in New York City and they are so 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 good. And I would eat my weight in them pretty much every year <laughs> because as a new librarian in New York City I couldn't really afford to do a whole heck of a lot. So, uh, you know, it was a it was an indulgence and um I was just thinking about well, it because Purim's almost It's funny here.
2: that you're thinking of that when I'm thinking of on TikTok, my new obsession. <laughs> I saw a recipe for like a fake shamrock shake, you know, like a healthy version oh. with like Greek yogurt and peppermint X. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make those. Can't wait.
1: You know, it's really bad when there's a fake shamrock shake, which is a, probably a fake version of a peppermint shake to begin with
2: (laughs) right? exactly and then it's kind of like oh wait why why do you if you're gonna do it just do it you know go for the gusto and get the real shamrock shake and just enjoy it right you know life's too short to have fake shamrock shakes but
1: well i don't good luck with your healthy shamrock shake
2: i'll keep you posted
1: (laughs) at any rate we're here first to talk about books stace do you want to kind of Tell us what we're chatting yeah. about today.
2: Yeah. So we went a different direction today. So we, we haven't done this in a while. So we, we picked an author, um, of somebody that our um, listeners, I'm sure you're going to recognize David Sedaris, right. who is a humorist and an essayist and on NPR and CBS Sunday morning. And he's been around for a long time. Um, I had never read any of his writing. And so Christopher had, and we had been talking about it. And I said, well, I'm really curious. So let's, let's talk about his books in this week's episode. So we each chose one of his books. I chose one of his first published um, books of essays, and Christopher chose a newer one. So I'll start. Yeah, why don't you? Um, yeah, so I I read the book. I actually listened to it on Audible, which he reads. He reads all of his books, so that was really nice to hear his actual voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I read. I listened to Barrel Fever, which was his second publication, and that was released in 1994. Oh, it seems like so long ago now. It does, doesn't it? And that was like, what, 18 years ago, right? 20 20 years ago, 28 years ago. ago? (laughs) I don't know. It was a really long time ago. (laughs)
1: Oh, we're showing our age. Go ahead.
2: Obviously, my math is not good. (laughs) Anyway, yeah. So, um, right out of the gate, as soon as I started listening, my first thought was, well, he's a male Fran woods He is. He, I just Im- immediately that was where I went to, and well, we'll um, describe
1: spin that out for the listeners a little
2: bit. So he is very New York. He's got a very New York ethos, right, and kind of very grounded in New York. Almost all the stories take place in New York or you know, thereabouts, the Eastern mm-hmm. seaboard, you know um, I think the first, well, he does one story that's based in California, but it, it, the character doesn't live in California. Right. So, um, he, you know, he's very New York centric. He's got a very sarcastic, um, not caustic in any way, but just you know, harsh view of, of a lot of things. He can come off a little, uh, Mm curmudgeon-y, I think, and, and critical. And, um, yeah, he's just, um, very strong opinions and doesn't really care what anybody, you know, if you agree with him or not, he's, this, these, this is what he's thinking and this is what he's putting out there. And the other thing that it, I I had to, like, get used to it, but you don't really know, like, when he's, te- like, when this is, like, a f- totally fictional account of whatever it is he's talking about, or if it's really grounded in in truth. Mm-hmm. You know, you think of when people write essays, they're usually have some, you know, they're factual base, but his essays spin toward the the bizarre.
1: Well, that's humor, right? And a lot of his stuff, you're, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say a lot of his stuff, you're right. He is, especially nowadays. And well, he's more global now, but like, he's very kind of part of that New York literati kind of thing. But with, Mm -hmm. but with a twist, he is originally from the South and his sister, we should mention is an actress, Amy Sedaris. And she's been in a number of things and used to be a regular on the David Letterman show and all that stuff. Um, so they, there's kind of a weird humor in their family to begin with, which in that I think one of his other collections Naked, that he does a lot of those essays are about his family and you really kind of learn a little bit more about him in that process. He is kind of like that observational humor and that satire, like he's observing what's mm-hmm. going on around him and then putting that down on the page, right? And he Yeah. He was he would show up a lot in the New Yorker or on NPR or mm-hmm. you know. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So this collection in Barrel Fever, it really runs the huge, a full gamut. You know, there isn't, there's no theme to the stories. They're not just based on his family. They're kind of all over the place. And he, he mentions Don, Don Rickles could be like a featured character because Don Rickles almost always turns up in every single story in one way or another. And, you know i guess it reflects the time period you know where um he grew up right <laughs> he grew up yeah and um barrel fever is is famous for being the the publication that held um the santalan diaries which is cedarus's probably most famous essay and christopher shared with me today that NPR would air it like every year during every pledge drive. It would, this would be circulated. And in this story, he, David Sedaris is hired to be a Macy's elf. And having been somebody who has worn an elf costume in their life, (laughs) I have. You could relate. um, I can relate, you know, of course this was like, you know, to the extreme and, you know, told about his whole experience in the, you know, the two week period, (laughs) everything from the training where they would do elf cheers (laughs) to, you know, commiserating with his other wannabe soap opera actor, writer, people uh, in the break room and, and things like that. It was, it was a pretty humorous story, but, you know, also had its moments of bizarreness and, um, <laughs>
1: well, he, yeah, I know but, one of the, my, a couple of my favorite points in that story are, uh, cause he's again, observing people who are standing in line, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of yeah. parents and young kids who are fidgety waiting for hours to meet the Macy Santa, the most famous Santa in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. And right. there's like, there's one point, well, to keep them occupied in line, there's one point where they can come and they reach that point and they can look through a hole, right? Right. And it, yep. It's like, <laughs> look through and you can see Santa is what he's supposed to say, but he says something right. else instead.
2: Yes. Yeah. He lo- he lo- he tells them, look through and you can see Cher. Yeah. <laughs> look through and you can see Mike Tyson. And...
1: <laughs> Which probably explains and then, why he didn't last too long. The-
2: the funniest thing is the comment he makes after that, like who in their right minds would actually think Cher had time to sit behind a two-way mirror at Macy's <laughs> during Christmas season. Um, that, that was like the funniest line in the whole story to, <laughs> me, to me. But, you know, I mean, there is really some outlandish stuff going on here. I think one of the, one of the stories that was to me like the most bizarre is it's called Don's Story and it's about this guy named Don mm-hmm. who takes a bus from North Carolina to Hollywood and on this bus he you know he tells the story of the the seatmate that you know he met this older woman and how he you know, he's kicked off the bus because he pokes her and she (laughs) gets all crazy. And then he's like randomly picked up by Brandon Tartikoff, you know, the famous like producer or whatever. And low and, and he says, Oh, well, I'm here to make a movie. And Brandon Tartikoff says, Oh, absolutely. Don go ahead and make your movie. And, and then he wins three Academy awards and you know, he's nobody. Right. Right. But yet then he goes on in this story, and he, and the story is Don's acceptance Academy Award acceptance speech. Right. And he's like, "Oh yes," and Barbara Streisand is here, and Barbara and I. And he goes on and tells this whole story of meeting her at a holiday. Party and just you know, I mean, and he and he tells her how he was a dishwasher. And she asks, Oh, well, what kind of dishwasher process did you use? Was it this model, or was it this model, or was it this kind of sink? I mean, it's just completely like surreal, but yet at the same time, you could picture this guy on the stage at the Academy Awards, you know, making this ridiculous yeah. speech. And so that was. <laughs> that was a pretty funny story too it was just weird and i had to really kind of i had to let go of like you know i had to let go of wanting it to make sense yeah you know because it absolute none of these really make sense <laughs> uh, they're just strange and bizarre and satirical um Yeah. Yeah. Totally satirical. And, and you, you just, you know, there were times where things were like, you had to stop and say, wait, is he, is this true? Like one of the stories he's, and I can't remember what the name of this one was, but he's telling about his mom has passed away and he and his sisters go back to her home Mm -hmm. and they're cleaning things up. And he's like, yeah. And I found a whole box of her new year's Eve resolutions Behind her volume of Mein Kampf. (laughs) Like, huh?
1: (laughs) Again, just kind of a twisted family there.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you just kind of had to, well, what's, I don't know what's real and what's not. And it made me wonder, well, how, this was 1994, so he probably wrote it even in the years preceding that. So, very early 1990s. How has he changed in nearly 30 years yeah. is really where we yeah. are yeah so um i looked up one of his newer short stories but we'll talk about that in a second christopher why don't you talk about the- sure book that you read.
1: Yeah. So, um, and you've hit him right on the head. Like he was really, and he was cutting edge in those early nineties. That's kind of how he caught on, right? Like he's doing these Mm -hmm. satirical observational takedowns of stereotypes of people, um, which, you know, when you're in your late twenties and early thirties, you can kind of get away with that because you're building out your professional voice and then what I chose to read uh, was his latest publication, which he he publishes his diaries from time to time, too. And mm-hmm. so the latest publication <laughs> is called uh, Carnival of Snackery, Diaries from 2003 to 2020, which is him would be wow. 40s into his 60s, right? So he's matured quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And in some ways...
2: And during 9-11. And during,
1: when well, just after 9-11.
2: Oh, just after 9-11? Yeah, okay. 2003. 2003. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. still,
1: like a lot of... Political stuff going on, yeah. a lot of social upheaval, and in fact, the the publisher blurb on the flap says, you know, um, you know, this is such a broad range of years that it is, uh, you know, entries that um, you could say at the start of the book, you couldn't really say at the end of the book because just language and how we communicate has changed. What's acceptable, right? Yeah. And he is always pushing the the boundaries of this. He's actually quite upfront with, um, you know, I'm not going to totally put myself in the box of political correctness and all of that kind of stuff, which is, which is kind of why I think now he kind of sounds kind of carmudgeonly as an older person. (laughs) Um, the diaries are, uh, uh, just again, his observations over the time. And, and during this time he's become far more successful. He's got a partner, he's got, they, the two of them have homes in New York and Paris and elsewhere and England. Um, and he is Uh, David Sedaris is famous for his book signings. Like he is almost incessantly on a book tour and he will show up early and talk to people. He will then do his reading and then he will sit for hours and make sure everyone who shows up gets a book signed. Um, And, and part of the reason it takes hours is because he engages with everyone, and so a lot of this book is about him traveling around the world to do different book signings and the people that he meets and just little observations. And um, uh, so, two kind of things that are he's famous for at these book signings is he will often ask you a question while you're right. he's signing your book, like, and it's not just "How are you today?" because he thinks those are boring questions. He's, he'll ask a question like, "How many people in wheelchairs do you know?" or what right. was the last time you shook a monkey's hand? And and sometimes the answers are as surprising as the question. <laughs> I won't give any of those away.
2: Well and then and then he what he writes in the book. Right. It comes out of that little
1: right. discussion. No, totally, yeah. totally. And he puts all of that in his diary. And then the other thing he's famous for is people now come up and tell him dirty jokes while they're getting their <laughs> book signed. And so there's mm-hmm. a lot of dirty jokes in this book that I'm not gonna read out loud. <laughs> um, but you know, it really, it, it still conveys his sense of curiosity. He's still a very, very curious person, which is one of the things I like about him. He's always interested in mm-hmm. random factoids. There's like one diary entry in here. That's just about today. I learned about a roach that when it's, there's no other food around, it will eat its own legs and then its legs don't regenerate. So it just basically kills itself and it gets eaten, <sighs> which is just a random curious factoid that, that kind of gives a little window into his mind. Um, and then as well, you know, he often writes about his family and it's always from a sense of love Mm and, um, even when he's poking it fun at them. And so they they uh, appear a lot in these as well. The, I should say the title of the book, Carnival of Snackery, comes from friends of his who showed him an Indian restaurant menu, and the title at the top said, you know, this food is a carnival of snackery, which I thought, that's such a great title for a book. Um, it is. You know, so that's where the title
2: comes especially, from. A, a, I'm sorry, especially a book like that, <laughs> like you're describing, right, that has all these little different Right pieces to it right, so there's
1: like a yeah, totally, and it's it's chronological, like it's just it's like anyone's diary, right, and some of the entries are short, and some of the entries are longer. he goes into a lot of political stuff, I'm not going to go into any of that um here, you can kind of probably kind of guess where he leans on a lot of things, um, but he just he is constantly observing people on the train people on the bus people in the dentist's office and he's writing about them and then he also also we talked about this earlier he writes about his boyfriend hugh i think they've Mm -hmm. been together for many many years like 30 years or something yeah and it's he just those those passages often resonate with me because they're so true and there's one Mm -hmm. point where they they bought a house i think it's in england and and um you know Hugh's like come out look look outside and he shows David outside the backyard and there's a little yellow snake going along in the grass and Dave's (laughs) like you gotta kill it and Hugh's like I'm not gonna kill the snake it's beautiful it's beneficial and they have that kind of partner back and forth Mm -hmm. that bickering and, and it finally ends up with well I'm not gonna go outside ever again you can hang your own laundry. And he was like, fine with it. And he, he says a very David Sedaris thing. He's like, you know, when we were before we bought the house, on the day we came to look at it, I thought I'd spend a lot of time in the yard beneath the Copper beech tree. The grass is so soft there. It's almost like a golf course. That was six years ago. And I sat on it once for all of two minutes before I remembered why I don't sit on the grass. It's, it's grass, <laughs> which is a very New York thing to say, to your point, right? You're right. Um, But yeah, it's just, it's kind of fun. You kind of, it's probably best read by people who already have an appreciation for him because he does come off as Lee sometimes. Um, And so that's why I enjoyed it because it to me is just an extension of all the diaries I've read before. Um, But he is good at like, just like, being that little, I've described him as being that little voice in our heads that says, what the heck is going on? You know, and he writes it down yeah. on paper and he gets paid for it. You know, we couldn't do that. <laughs> We'd lose yeah. our jobs. No,
2: no. And, and he gets away with these observations, oh, which totally. we probably couldn't do either. Right? <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs> but you, you, <laughs> so. you, you pointed out in uh, uh, an essay he wrote just last year in the New Yorker that we were chatting about
2: Yes. It so it was um it's called Pearls. And it was in the May 17th, 2021 issue of The New Yorker. And it's a it's about him and his partner and they're they're celebrating their 30th year together, which is pearls, I guess, is the gift you get at 30
0: years, yeah. Um
2: at 30 years. And you know, it just it it just talks a little bit about their their relationship, and especially during the time of a pandemic, you know, in the time of a pandemic, and you know, it's so just as you said, Christopher, it's so relatable, right? Any couple that has been together for a long time, you, Joe and I, have been together, you know, been together almost twenty eight years, married almost twenty five. Mm-hmm. You and Will's have been together a, a really long yeah. time too, so you know you you're with this person and you get up in the morning you go your go to your jobs you go your separate ways and you know you see each other for a few hours and then pandemic comes and oh my god you're together all the time and panic sets in yeah it's a whole it's a whole new thing and so that's kind of what what Um, Pearls talks about and and I love how they he talks about how they they buy because they his because Hugh wants to practice the piano and David Sedaris can't handle it they buy the apartment above them right above them so that that becomes a respite (laughs) for David to go when Hugh's playing piano and then they have a conversation about well where are we going to eat Dinner, and they call the upstairs apartment Luigi's.
1: <laughs> Luigi's <laughs> I love that, and
2: and, Lu- and they say that Lu- Luigi's is for casual dining. <laughs> I thought that was like the funniest part of the episode. But you know, to my point earlier about how in his earlier essays, you just didn't know sometimes what was really true yeah. and what wasn't. He even says at the begin at the outset of Pearls, he says. I do this all the time. I tell people misleading things about Hugh. It's fun to watching them shift gears as they reevaluate who they think I am. But it's this idea. Did you know, my question was, Oh my God, was that the case in all of his writing? Did he always put in, you know, tell people, did he always tell people misleading things to keep them, the readers guessing at who he is. And then later on in the store, in the story, He's talking to his sister Amy that you mentioned earlier, the actress, and he tells her that they bought the apartment above them, so that um, and she says, "So that you'll have somewhere to go when he practices piano." Ask Amy, who bought the apartment upstairs from her, just so she could get away from her rabbit. <laughs> and my, and my in the margin of the the article I wrote, is that true? <laughs> Because it's you know, there again, okay, so really? So his sister bought an apartment so she could get away from her rabbit? That can't be <laughs> well is that misleading, you know.
1: It does make so. you question, is he a reliable narrator, right? That's the that's right. the point. And we, again, very, very New York, rich New York comment, right? I bought the apartment above right. so that my I could get away from the piano practice and right. blah 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 blah. And and his sister's very famous for having a rabbit. She's included it in her cookbooks and all this kind of stuff, like you know, so it's it's plausible, and she's probably rich enough to do okay, it, Okay, so to, I did
2: not know that. Yeah. I did not know that yeah. about her. So <laughs> she's fascinating, too. Now it makes too. a little more sense. She's,
1: she's kind of like a little twisted character too um but you know i loved this story too because again it got to like you know he in this story he's talking about the panic setting in of having to spend all this quality time with his partner in a pandemic and he's like i don't know if i can do it i don't know if i know him well enough and even though they've been together for 30 years and um you know it kind of makes me think like you know yeah wills and i've been together for over two decades and we know each other really really well but the what he gets at in this essay is like there's different it's a different expression at this point in time, right? It's not right. all romantic, blah blah blah. And one of my favorite sentences in this uh, this essay is, "They're the, he's bought new sheets for the bed, and they're sl- yeah. falling to sleep, <laughs> and he's like, you know." David turns to Hugh and he says, "This is what I'll miss about you when you're dead: is falling asleep together." And and what I thought was so funny about that line, and so David Sedaris, is it's because he assumes Hugh's going to die before him, even though Hugh is right. younger, right? <laughs> um, and that's just very that's that's just David Sedaris in a in a nutshell. He actually opens the the essay with he's meeting a woman at a party and she's right. asking him about his. Boyfriend, or whatever. And he's like, Mm -hmm. he's he's much younger than me, or something like that. And leading him to believe that he's dating a 21 year old when really his partner is like 60 something. Right. So, right. um, Right. And this whole.
2: Yeah, I think he actually says that, that he's 21. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah, he's 21. And that
1: leads to a conversation (laughs) with another friend that says, like, the the acceptable. acceptable ratio right. of dating someone younger half your is half your age plus seven is as is, is low as you could go. Yeah.
2: Half half your age divided by two plus yes, seven. Exactly. <laughs> your age divided by two plus seven. Um. Which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> And, and having dated somebody much older than me at one point in my life, I had to like do the math. <laughs> was that was was it acceptable?
1: But at any rate, that it was a thank you for sharing that essay. I hadn't I hadn't seen that, and he does contribute to the New Yorker from time to time. Again, he's that kind of writer, you know. He's that yeah modern day Will Rogers, Robert Benchley kind of guy. Um,
2: well, I, I have to say, I enjoyed the essay a lot more than the essays in barrel fever. I mean, just, because I had a hard time, you know, grasping onto anything, mm-hmm. you know, in, I mean, I, I enjoyed Don's story because it was so bizarre, <laughs> but the rest of it, I was kind of like, this is really strange, but the, it wouldn't, you know, I think now having read pearls, I would, I would go, I would read some of his newer stuff. Yeah. Um,
1: Calypso is good. For sure, um, uh, uh, all sorts of. He, we have most of them at the library. They're they're all really good. And so his collection that came out after Barrel Fever, which was Naked, is much more about his family. So um, I, I found that one that one very interesting as well. And I love his satire. So alongside Don story, there's one he did. I think it's in the Sandaland Diaries collection that was published separately. It's all about a theater reviewer who does. Uh, who takes apart reviews or plays of Christmas pageants put on by little kids? Oh. It's, like, it's like he's like oh. he's you know like this highbrow. He thinks he's a highbrow reviewer, <laughs> and he just rips <sighs> these kids to shreds, and it's it's oh. hilarious. But you have to understand that going in, otherwise it would totally right. put you off, right?
2: Right, so, and that sounds like it'd be really funny. He also he's a great guest on talk shows because you, you know, you turned me on to some uh, YouTube videos of him. You know, I looked some up of him being interviewed by like Jimmy Kimmel and on the, the Dak Shepherd podcast and God help me, Drew Barrymore. (laughs) Um, But he is, um, he is a really good guest and a, you know, a really, you know, he's really funny. Like in, quote-unquote, in-person, right. you know. So yes. I, I enjoyed listening to all of those. As is
1: his sister, Amy. So Amy Sedaris used to get called on to the Dave Letterman show all the time because whenever they would have a guest cancel because she could always come um, on and do something in a minute, right, and right. just entertain people for five minutes. So, um, but at any rate, we both read essays and uh yes. stories from david sedaris he's got a lot of different things out you read barrel fever which was from 1994 yes. i read carnival of snackery which is from last october and we have that at the library as well and then we both chatted about pearls an essay in the new yorker from last spring so yeah. we'll put all this on our on our show page and uh yeah, can't wait to see what we're gonna agree or disagree on in our next book segment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned.
1: <laughs> and I may go buy new sheets um <laughs> for Wills. All right, listeners, go grabs go grab a Hamantaschen cookie or a nice cup of tea, and we will be back or a
2: shamrock shake. Or a shamrock
1: shake. <laughs> And we are going to come back and talk a lot of books with uh, one of our favorite locals. So we'll be right back.
0: Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits. Oxygen Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless culture-packed, nutritious podcasts considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now.
1: Welcome back, listeners. We are at the conversation portion of our podcast, where we bring on someone local to the Eastern Sierra to describe how they contribute uniquely to our live, work, play life on this side of the mountains. And this time, we are really pleased to invite Juliana Olinka, who is basically, we just decided, a local influencer, bar none, uh, for the (laughs) Eastern Sierra. Welcome, Juliana.
3: Hi, Stacey. Hi, Christopher. I'm very excited to be here today. (laughs)
2: We're excited to have you here.
1: Yeah, we are. Um, And, you know, Juliana, we've met a few times uh, in a couple of different contexts since I came out here. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about what is your Eastern Sierra origin story? Are you native to the area did you come here?
3: No, I'm not native to the area. Mm -hmm. I actually was... Born in Detroit, grew up in the suburbs, lived there most of my life, was in Atlanta for a while, was in New York City, and then I moved to Los Angeles in 1978 and lived in Southern California and moved to Mammoth permanently in 2011. And I can tell you how I got here. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Okay, which which is kind of integral to a lot of what I do here in Mammoth. Because got 20, me started anyway.
1: Because twenty eleven practically makes you a newcomer still, right?
3: Oh, I thought it was a native. I know so many people. Anyway, <laughs> anyway you do. Um, yeah, really. Well. Um, I have been friends with Shira Dubrovner, who manages and runs is artistic director of the Mammoth Lakes Repertory Theater. Right. She and I have known each other for like 20 years. And we met at the Group Repertory Theater in North Hollywood, where um, she directed a couple of shows. I did costumes. I directed a couple of things. And she decided to move back up here. And I forget what year it was, but it was maybe two thousand five, six, seven, something like that. Anyway, Mm -hmm. to come up here and start a theater. And I helped her kind of develop a, a bit of a business plan and then came up for a couple of different summers to do, um, to do summer theater with her. And then when my previous husband passed away in 2008, I came up a couple more times and moved up here actually permanently in 2011. Wow, to do initially, you know, actually, I came to do the female version of the odd couple in twenty eleven, <laughs> <laughs> and I've been here ever since. I just couldn't leave and you taught at the you taught drama
2: at Mammoth High School, right?
3: Yes, I did. I taught drama for one year at Mammoth High School, which was a really great experience, but i that time I was working full time at the Mammoth Lakes Foundation, and yeah. it was it's really challenging, challenging because. Those of you who are teachers who might be listening know that a 1 hour class does not require 1 hour a day. It requires quite a bit right a of bit. work and preparation yeah. and homework and reading assignments and so on and so forth. So it was re- it was uh, the foundation was willing to let me go over to the high school for like an hour, an hour and a half um, a day for, for that year. But it was just too much between that and being in shows and working full time. Yeah. So I only did it for one year, but it was a great year. I loved it. So in the following year, I actually directed um, a show with two other teachers, which was, it was a concert version of zombie. <laughs> that
2: sounds great. My, I think my daughter, Sarah, was in that. Sarah was in that. Yes, she was. She was fabulous.
3: It was it was, and it was so much fun. The kids really had a great time, so that was really good. So have you always
1: been in theater, or has it just always been in your blood?
3: It started, well, I should say it started, uh, our, we had a babysitter. I have a lot of siblings. I'm the, the first of 11, and we didn't have 11 at the time, but our babysitter was Mrs. Bargowski. Never forget her. And I made all of my siblings put on plays for Mrs. Barkowski. And then, you know, it's funny. Then in the third grade, I sang a solo in the Christmas concert, and that was the end of it. You know, that was I'm, it, huh? That was it. Um, I actually have a BA in theater from Michigan State University. I worked, lived and worked in New York for a while as an actress or would be actress and right. then moved to Los Angeles, had a, a little sabbatical in there where I was raising my son with my mm-hmm. husband and, um, and then started doing theory, theater again. Oh, I don't know, like in the late nineties. So I've been doing it ever since.
1: Has Full it changed? Day. Yeah. I mean, you've been doing it for quite some time. Has it, has theater, as uh, the way it's being offered in communities, especially smaller communities like Mammoth, which is a very vital community, there's a lot of talent and a lot mm-hmm. of interest in it in Mammoth, but the types of types of shows or plays that are put on, has that changed, or have you seen a change over time, or even just a change in how people are interested in it?
3: Not really. Uh, people, people need the arts. They really right. and truly need the arts, um, and... Uh, and the only thing that's changed is the last two years have just been challenging because of COVID, because it's really hard. You you, you can't really do a, a live production with people wearing masks. I mean, you can, but it's, it's a little <laughs> challenging. So as I was saying, it, it's, it's diff- It was been really difficult to do theater. So we've done some zoom productions mm-hmm. and tried to keep the, the, le- the performance level as high as you can, but it's really difficult to do that because the beauty of, of theaters that it's live and it's an exchange between the audience and the performer and that experience is missing when you're doing it on zoom when you're doing a comedy you want to hear the laughs because if you're not here the laughs you must not be doing something right you know and you can't whether you they're there or not you can't hear them on zoom so anyway that i think that's the only thing that's changed and people are hungry for the arts yeah
1: You know, it was interesting to me during the kind of the real lockdown period of the last 18 months, um, when a lot of us really were just kind of forced to stay inside. Um, You know, I agree with you on Zoom, it was really awkward, but we did, we were able to watch a few theater performances, either that had been recorded from years past that were made more widely available during this period, which was really great. But then we watched a couple of performances, and I'm trying to remember the names of the plays, but... They were staged live, not with masks, but the actors were distanced on a stage and It was really interesting to watch like what must have been the director's decisions and how they choreographed this play without letting the actors actually get within six feet of each other. It was really quite interesting
3: that is interesting because because it's not just an exchange between the performer and the audience, but it's performer to performer it's the connections that you make on the stage that are so important. Because the same way you have a conversation and you listen to someone and you look in their eyes, you want to feel that as a performer. Right. Because the more giving you are, the more you get from the other person. So um, that's yeah. It's so you've had. <laughs> so
2: you, you've had a lot of you've you've been an actress. You've been a director. You know, you've had lots of different roles. And what is your what's your favorite way to participate in? In a play, is as it to an be act- an actress or a director? Uh, as an as an
3: actress, I think um, directing is really a, a close second because you have a vision and and when and when you direct here, you you're not just the director; you're also the producer. you know, in many ways. So, so it's a full vision, you know, how does it look? How does it sound? How does it feel? What's the approach? Um, And then is it, is it working? And what can you draw out of your performers? But, but as an actress myself, that's probably my first love. I also sing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Do you tap dance? That's a, that's. I did take tap
3: dancing lessons in New York city from someone um, Carmen Applegroin was her name. It probably still is her name. Uh, she was like a year ahead of me at Michigan State, and she uh-huh. is legally blind.
1: Awesome. Wow, that's
3: and she, brilliant! She was she's she a great tap dancer. It was, all, <laughs> it was all in the ear, all in the ear. She could hear if we were doing wow. it right or not. Oh, that is brilliant! That's utterly. I, brilliant. I tap
2: dance too. I was a tap
3: dancer. Yeah, no
2: Irish clogging. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I love it. No.
3: I don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: Juliana, you know, we talked a little bit, I mentioned earlier on, I've met you in a couple of different scenarios, including, you know, uh, helping participate, judging the lions club speech contest with mm-hmm. the high school students, which I think is a really important and really fun thing to do. What are some of the other things you're involved with? Cause everyone in town seems to know you.
3: Oh, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, so um, so I worked at the foundation, Mammoth Lakes Foundation, for a couple of years before I retired from there. After um, I moved here in in 2011, so I worked there for about five years. Yeah. While I was there, I was instrumental in working on the food, Mammoth Food and Wine Experience, and so I had a lot of connections with there. I was involved in the chamber at that time, at least as a participant. Mm-hmm. I'm also a member of the Mammoth Lakes Fire Safe Council. I'm a past president and the current district um, head of the student speaker contest for the Lions Club. I'm president of the Eastern Sierra Arts Alliance, which is the latest um, permutation of Mammoth Lakes Repertories under that umbrella, as is the Mammoth Lakes Film Festival. Mm -hmm. And I am... uh, Oh, I'm also in my homeowners association. Don't ask me why. (laughs) Um, And... And I um, just this past year became a trainer with the California Grand Jury Association, having served three years on the, Mamo, uh, the Mono County Grand Jury. That's a lot. So, I think that's all. I, I probably forgot something, but it's okay.
1: You know, the <laughs> Grand Jury is the kind of experience I think many people don't know enough about, but probably is very, very fascinating. Can you talk a little bit to our listeners about what that is? Because I'm all about civic participation in that kind okay. thing. That
3: I would love people to join the grand jury. It is probably one of the best experiences I've had because not only are you part of a jury, there's 11 people in Mono County, that's the size of the grand juries here, that you get to work with for a year, but you are required according to state law to um, review jails in the county actually prisons in the county, and investigate one county department. But, of course, if you just did that, you'd feel like you were wasting your years. So you tend to do more than that. But it's it's a way to hold local government accountable. So if you get a citizen's complaint about something, you can, as a grand jury member, choose to investigate it. If um, As a group, you can decide, hey, we should look into... Um, the county uh, administrative office or we should look into uh, there's some things you can't do mm-hmm. but uh, but very little and it, it's just a great way to understand how government works and if you don't understand how government works it makes it a little bit more challenging to criticize it or to hear critiques or comments from people who don't know and you can't say oh wait that's not true mm-hmm. oh, and I also I also am a poll worker I forgot about that one. <laughs> Awesome. But um, I I highly recommend the grand jury. Yes, it is work, but you don't have to be retired to do it because the grand jury itself, that body of 11 people decides when they're going to meet, what they're going to do how much they're going to do, what committee people are going to be on. And if your skill set is better as a writer, you could be on the editorial committee. If your skills are better in research, you can be doing a lot of research. But everybody ultimately agrees to the final reports that get written. But it's a great experience.
1: Yeah, I think it's an important thing uh, in local government, as you say. It's it's for accountability and for exposure and education to, to people who are interested. You wanna, you, if you want to be involved, you got to pull your chair up to the table, right? Yes. So, uh, uh, look yes. who I'm speaking to. I'm, I'm preaching to the <laughs> choir here. You're up at like 12 tables. You just listed <laughs> I,
3: I have to learn to say no. That was my New Year's resolution. <laughs> but this one
2: I wanted to say yes to.
1: <laughs> Stacey once told me that. Like three weeks ago, Stacey, you said, you, yeah. you got to learn to say no.
2: no. No is a complete sentence. So I, I, I like that. I'll remember that. <laughs> Teaching my kids that because I don't know how to say it myself. <laughs> but are you are you doing anything theater-wise right now?
3: Yes, I am currently currently in rehearsal for a Mammoth Lakes Repertory Theater production of The Women by Claire Booth Luce, which yeah. was written in the 1930s. Um, I think the, the poster says the original um, Housewives of New York City. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's a little, uh-huh.
3: a little bit of cattiness going on in the play. Um, yeah, and uh, it's it actually, it, it's very interesting because it has a cast of 37, but we have about 15 actors. <laughs> so certain people are playing multiple parts, moi included. So
1: that's
3: (laughs) going to be
1: great. I think it's one of the most amazing plays ever written. The dialogue is so crisp and witty and well-paced and insightful and fun. Really. It takes, it's actually a very serious topic. It's about divorce, um, but really fun. And there's no men,
3: right? (laughs) there it yes it's a, there are there's not a single man we talk about them we do mention them but there are no men on the stage it's all women and okay. and we are doing it in the time frame in the 1930s okay. and the costumes are going to be fantastic so we run thursday through sunday march 24th to april 3rd and you can get your tickets online right now if you want
1: <laughs> <laughs> listeners
3: <And, laughs> org.
1: there you go well juliana Uh, this may be how you spend your free time. What we're going to ask you, like what, when you're not doing all this other stuff, how, what do you do to just relax up here in the Eastern Sierra? Do you ski? Do you hike? Do you fish? Do you?
3: Well, my, my husband now, we got married in 2015, 16, 2006. Sorry, honey. uh, 2016. We do a lot of hiking. Um, We also like to, travel to let's say national parks. We went to Yellowstone one year and camped for a week, which was amazing. We've been to Death Valley. Um mostly that I do a little cross country skiing, but I fall down so much that um, you know, unless there's a lot of snow for padding, I don't do that too <laughs> often.
1: <laughs> I'm really good at falling down on cross country skis. That's-
3: oh I'm so <laughs> good. And downhill I've never downhill skied. I grew up in Michigan and where I grew up it was pretty flat. Yeah and um we didn't we sledded we did a lot of sledding when i was a kid but no no skiing so um so it's
2: mostly mostly hiking a lot of hiking cool it's a beautiful place for it do you have a favorite do you have a favorite hike that you like to do mcgee mcgee creek yeah that's probably one of my most favorites
1: that's a beautiful. But there's, so, park.
3: there's so many around here. There's just so many really great places to go and see, and you know, and I love going down to to Rainbow Falls. It's really nice, and all those, you know, all, all the hikes up in the Lake, Lake Basin are really fabulous. So,
1: yeah, McGee Creek is is for our listeners is just off Crowley Lake, uh, right? Do I have that right? It's just kind of like west south just, of Crowley.
3: Yeah. yeah, it's just north of
1: Crowley. north of Crowley.
2: Crowley.
1: Yeah, yes south end of the county
2: it's a very easy trailhead to find because it says right off of 395 it says mcgee (laughs) you just turn there
3: (laughs) and it's a straight drive up and once you're up there it dead ends at the trailhead exactly you can go as far as you want and when uh, the mule ear are blooming it is it can be fantastic it's just on whole hillsides of yellow and there's wild roses and all kinds of other beautiful beautiful wildflowers up that way
1: beautiful. It's almost wildflower season, right?
3: Yeah. Right after it finishes snowing. (laughs) (laughs) We could
1: use a little bit more snow, but
3: yes, I'm, I'm fine with snow. I'm fine with all four seasons. I just, I I love it here and I don't want to live anywhere else. So that's great. So you are a big reader, correct? Yes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I remember When I was probably a preteen, I was reading a book called Mistress of Malin by Nora Lofts. And I was just at the point where she gets trapped behind in this like cell and the store closes behind her. like, I'm sitting on my bed, laying in the bed. And I'm just at this crucial point. My mother's, Julie, come to dinner. I'm going in a minute, in a minute, in a minute. <laughs> and I had to find out if she res- got rescued or she was going to suffocate. Um, so I, 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 yeah, I've. My parents read to us when we were kids, and we had a series of books that we looked at, which I just saw in an antique store for a couple hundred dollars, so I didn't buy them. But uh, <laughs> yeah, um, just an avid reader. And my husband and I listen to books on tape every night before we go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, just been reading a lot, a lot of books lately, a lot of amazing, amazing books, which I would love to talk about. Yeah, so why don't you tell us about a few? Okay, so I just finished reading the boys in the boat oh we loved that book yeah daniel james brown it's about the 1936 uh olympics and a rowing crew from washington state university and it it is an amazing book Isn't absolutely that? an amazing book yeah um and and i actually have a friend who lives in bishop her name is karen Keene, and she was on an olympic rowing team really wow not in 1936, Karen. <laughs> but but um, uh, you know, reading this and understanding what goes into crew was just amazing. Yeah. But it's the personal stories of these guys in this crew, and yeah. that that yeah. the author got to spend time with with Joe is just. Yeah. Yeah, fabulous. And it was such a
1: such a crucial Olympics that year too. I mean, Mm -hmm. there was just
2: so much going on that year. That was
3: in Berlin. It was uh, you know Jesse Owens
2: and and so many others that were. That was what I loved about it was the juxtaposition of what was happening in Europe versus you know everything that the boys were going through to get ready for the Olympics and the build up to it. It was like, (gasps) yeah, you know really Listen, good.
1: Daniel J. Brown is a great nonfiction writer too and he's got a new book out called Facing the Mountain which is about uh, uh, Japanese Americans volunteering in World War II while their families were in internment camps mm-hmm. um, which is getting a lot of great reviews as well so that's on my T- TBR pile okay. um, but okay. that's okay. great. I'm,
3: I brought that one down. Okay and then all right so I so, also just before that finished American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson which is a fictionalized story of a black woman in the CIA, right? It's the mm. CIA, not the FBI. Um, it is so incredibly interesting because she talks about the politics of being a spy mm-hmm. and how it personally affected her. It was it was quite the read. I, I really, 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 I mean, just sucked you in right from the very beginning.
1: Well, what time period is it set in? Is it
3: the current? Eighty. It, it's, 80s. Well, it, uh, I'm going to open my book because I just <laughs> dropped something down the floor. Because she actually goes um, almost like um, the the uh, boys in the boat went back and forth between Berlin and um, Washington. This went back and forth between. 1992 and 1966 I think so 66 oh, wow. when, when she was a young girl growing up in New York so you get her background but this is what's happening in present day and then and then you kind of left a little bit of an open-ended ending interesting so, yeah it, it, it was really good and it's part of a, a book club that I joined just to get names of books
1: <laughs> cheating, so cheating. that one that one is American Spy by Lauren Wilkinson.
3: Right. And then another one I just finished is a woman of no importance, uh, by Sonia Purnell. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, of the story, the unwritten story of Virginia Hall, who was an American in Europe who was instrumental in the success of the allies winning world war II, particularly in her activities in France. And again, an unbelievable story. And it, it, starts with her first getting involved and then she was actually a CIA operative post-World War II. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's quite the story and de- definitely a great read. That was yeah. a great read too. I, I mean, uh, I love, I love historical, historical stuff. So then yeah. I would say my next book I would talk about is John Adams by David McCullough.
1: Mm-hmm. Which
3: fabulous fabulous biography of John Adams and David McCullough is just a great writer when it comes mm-hmm. to historical yeah. biographies. He but the, to me the fascinating thing about John Adams book is if you want to know about the founding of America and the Constitution read John Adams by David McCullough because yeah. it is based so much on letters written between John Adams, Thomas Jefferson um, John Adams wife his kids. And I mean, he takes the letters and the notes and really puts them into this amazing narrative. And it's so insightful about the history of this country.
1: Well, it's also if I I haven't read that book in a while, but if I remember correctly, he's also really good at place setting. Like they lived in Quincy, right? Or right. it was south of Boston itself. And, you know, he he really places them as a family in that kind of intimate setting as well as the larger, you know, growing nationwide setting that that the Adamses, even as a family, were playing in, because their their children, their son, John Quincy Adams, of course, went on as well. So it's it's just I remember being fascinated by that book.
3: And and you're right. I mean the, the the background that he gives you about what the country was like, like talking about John Adams having to ride his horse right. to get from Quincy right. to right. Philadelphia, where all the negotiations were going on. Right. And and to me, the one of one of the my big takeaways from that book was the way that they envisioned the country being structured that the senate was kind of for the more rich people in the country and the house of representatives for those for people maybe lesser means mm-hmm. but it wasn't a job right it right. was right. a responsibility and you yeah. didn't do, do it year round right you met you did your business and then you went back right. and were with the people you were representing so you knew what the people wanted right Hello.
2: What a novel concept. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a very different world today, but it's yeah. probably something yeah. a lot of people should read.
3: Yes. Okay, I'm trying to think what else, because I actually wrote stuff down. Um, then, um, So you can probably tell, like, like, historical stuff. Yeah. But I also read this really, um, really good book called Long Bright River by Liz Moore. And if you saw the TV series Mayor of Easttown... Mm-hmm. It has that flavor to it. It's not the same story, but it has, it really like pulls you in and this is like a real world De- female detective and okay. and how and how she handles this this case that she's investigating kind of along, along those lines. So that that was another really good one that I enjoyed.
1: Is it, is it very character driven? Is is she yeah. like the thing that drives you in it? Yeah.
3: Okay. And right. is
1: that a newer book or is that an older book? I haven't heard of that. Um,
3: okay. Well, let me pull my book out.
1: <laughs> it's
0: a, it's a Sorry New to York put time,
3: you on the spot. No, it's, okay. I See, you, I came prepared. At least I think I did. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> it twenty twenty.
1: Oh, okay. okay. So it's very new. Okay.
3: A Good Morning America
1: book club pick. I, I should know about this then.
2: So, are, do you gravitate, Juliana, more towards nonfiction, or or historical fiction, or doesn't matter? I mean, you've you've given us a wide variety here.
3: Yes. Well, his, historical fiction probably would I would say would be my my favorite, but. Um, Uh, I'll tell you another book that I absolutely love, which is another period that I'm, I'm really interested in is the killer angels by, I think it's Michael Shara, Mm -hmm. which is all about the battle of Gettysburg. Right. And it's, that's another one. It bounces back and forth. It'll be a general from the South and a general from the North. What's happening in the South What's happening in the North, this battle from the North perspective, this battle from the South perspective. And it, it's appalling what war does. It is, you yeah. know, those men who fought in the Civil War were not humans. They were just plot, you know, fodder. objects to be thrown. Right. They yeah. were fodder. Yeah. You know, yeah. We need to charge up this hill. Pickett's Charge. You read about Pickett's Charge in there. It's like, are you kidding me? You're going
2: uphill against guns. It doesn't yeah. make sense. And they were babies. Yeah. You know, so many of them were, were teenagers little drummer, the yeah. drummer
3: boys, they were, yeah. they were yeah. all kids. Yeah. And then, you know, with the self, but by, by the time you got towards the end of the war, it was all kids. It seemed like right. it was all kids, all kids and yeah. old men.
1: You know, it's yeah. just Stacey and I have chatted about this in the past too. I love historical fiction and history and I read a lot of it as well. And part of it is so I can better understand the present, right? Especially when we're going through really big issues like we are today. It's, it's, to me, it's helpful to go read big issues of the past and understand how people worked their way through and solved it and made it through or didn't, you know, right. um, and it helps kind of keep things in perspective for me. You mentioned earlier before we started talking, one of my favorite authors who writes under a different pen name, but Pargeter, uh, oh, the, yes. the, Heaven, um, the Heaven Tree, the Heaven
3: Tree Trilogy. I have read the Heaven Tree probably three or four times and it's set in, I think it's the... 13th century?
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
3: Um, but it's set in medieval times. And the beauty of that one, that's, I talk about historical fiction and the, that particular trilogy, it really gives you a feel for how people lived it's not so much the story of the people and what happens to them which is important but how did people live how did these beautiful cathedrals get built how Mm -hmm. how did it happen who were the people involved who had this vision how long did it take all of those things are kind of then you go oh okay so um you know notre dame this makes sense Mm -hmm. you know how it happened and 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 who was involved Mm -hmm. in it
1: and, and, and it was a great, great at doing that kind of research and bringing that detail out. She also writes under the name or wrote under the name Ellis Peters. So those of you who are listeners right. who are fans of the brother Cadfael mystery series about the right. monk who would solve mysteries in that same time period, uh, it's the same author. Yeah.
3: Well, the interesting thing too, about the heaven, heaven tree and that whole trilogy is, is she said that was probably her favorite series ever that she wrote.
1: Yeah. I didn't know that. That's great.
3: Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. In the, the foreword. Okay. Oh, And another really great book, before I get, like, to the murder mysteries, because um, <laughs> I have a bunch of those, too, is The House on the Strand by Daphne du Maurier. It is such a fascinating story because it's about um, this this the guy who's the the, yes. the main character is renting this house on uh, in Cornwall, mm-hmm. and he becomes a, a guinea pig for this drug that his I, I, I whatever the experimentation is monkey paw or some I don't know mm-hmm. anyway so he takes the drug but when he takes the drug he is transported back to what was happening on that land in the 14th century. Oh, wow. So while the drug is in his system, so he'll, so he's like walking along and then he sees this young squire and he's following these people and these lords. And then he wakes up and he's like, (gasps) you know, this is crazy, (laughs) you know? And then he, then he goes back and then he goes, you know, I wonder what happened. So he takes the drug again and it, it's not exactly the same instance, and he's mm-hmm. not in exactly the same place. But it's the same players, and he can see them; they can't see him. He oh, can't interfere with it. It's it's just a great book. But what happens to him from taking this drug? You have to read the book. And find I, out.
1: you know, I'm adding that to my list. I'm a fan of hers because she's a, she writes that kind of well. She was at the time a modern kind of dark gothic writer. You know, Rebecca, The Birds. You know, right. Jamaica Inn.
3: Well, it's referred to. Her, uh, someone referred to her as echoes of H.P. Lovecraft and yeah. Ed Brown and
1: Poe. Totally, which so, is why Hitchcock liked her. So,
3: <laughs> right? Yeah. no, she was a great writer, and then um, you know I, I love Harlan Coben. We, there, he's got multiple series of books, and Robert Brinza.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, he's got a series with a private investigator, Kate Marshall. That's really good. We just finished Shadow Sands. By okay. Robert Burns, but he's got a whole series of books. And then Ann Fraser is another another favorite. She did the Body Keeper, Body Counter, Body Reader, so it's a, a three three book mm-hmm. series. But I she's I think that one's done. You guys are just avid. You yes, <laughs> I love
1: it. The I librarian in me love loves this.
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I'd also recommend The Color of Water. By Mm. James McBride,
1: which is a a black man's tribute
3: to his white mother.
1: Yeah, which is a wonderful slice of memoir of growing up at a certain period in New York City, as you would understand. I believe was Queens and Brooklyn, um, with many siblings and a single mother. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's a wonderful, wonderful book.
3: Okay, I think those are, oh, that's the whole list I wrote down.
1: <laughs> well, listeners, you don't have to have been writing any of this down because we're going to put all of it on our show page. Um, yeah. and clearly, if you need book recommendations besides myself or Stacy, you can go to Juliana. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> Since yeah. you all probably know her already, I it's love it. fine.
3: <laughs> and, you know, I can tell you the book I just started, that um, the book club, um, that I'm part of, recommend. It's called Art Curious. Ooh, oh. what's that? And it is about... Um, I think it fell on the floor. Um, it's it's about... It's, it's different chapters. Like, the first one is about Monet and okay. what a rebel Monet was. And then... So it's like secrets of paintings and the backgrounds of how things were happening at different oh, times. Cool. But she's got... It's multiple chapters. And the beauty is... Um, it was actually uh, written by a woman who started a podcast oh, about wow. art. That's awesome. Art, art. So I think her podcast might be called Art Curious. I'd have to double check. But uh, but it's, it's really, really interesting because each one is kind of self-contained. Mm-hmm. And she really uh, references... The pieces of art. So you can't read a chapter without going, oh, what does that one look like? Oh, yeah, what, does right. look like? Yeah. what does that one look like? What does that one look like? Then she talks about <laughs> um, how, how Monet's eyesight was failing as he got older. And so you can see the difference in his brush strokes mm-hmm. and his uses of color because he, his eyesight wasn't as good as, as it was when he was younger. But what rebels the Impressionists were and why the Impressionists became who they were because they couldn't get into the salon to, right. to, to show their art. So that was just the first chapter. So I just started <laughs> the second one, but it's really good.
1: It's called Art Curious. I'm going to make sure we get a copy for the library because I'm interested in that one now too.
3: Uh, and I was an art history minor. So I thought, you know, and find out stuff about i didn't know already i love that stuff all right
2: all right well juliana this has been so instructive and insightful for us so thank you so much for taking some time to yeah, be with us you. today yeah thank you for inviting me <laughs> and, and if you ask
3: me back and you're welcome anytime if you Ask me back in like six months i might have another whole list of books for you we'll put there. your name down perfect <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I really really enjoyed this and I hope I hope maybe someone will join the grand jury or go to see a play or read a really fabulous book. Absolutely. I, I just what one last button. I had a student when I was teaching at Taft High School. I was teaching English and trying to get the students to read and I had this one girl who said to me, "Reading a, a book is like a movie in your mind."
1: It's all up here, right? Absolutely. That's the best part of it, right? (laughs) That's why the book is always better, right? Stace, we talk about that too.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you listeners for joining us for another episode of the Oxygen Star podcast. We hope you enjoyed this wide selection of books that Juliana shared and getting to know her a little bit better if you're one of the five people that don't know her already. We really appreciate it. Please keep in mind, you can also check us out at our Instagram page, O2 Starved, and our um, website, OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. We really appreciate your support. Take good care, and we'll see you again soon.
0: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Starved. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.